our reading comes from, have a guess, Ruth 3. So let's open God's word. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, sorry, with those whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly and covered his feet and lay down. And this is the God thing. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and he discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true I am a near, of, near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he bored, poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Thank you for that, Ton and Andrew. 
uh, I realised that uh, some people here, uh, for your benefit, I just want to sketch a little bit of history of where we're at in this series of Ruth. Uh, we have started this about two weeks ago. Um, I'm going to do this in 60 seconds. Uh, it starts with a man named Elimelech, his wife Naomi, two daughters. They have a famine in their town of Bethlehem. They escape this famine by moving to a place called Moab. The two boys get married, um, Naomi and Elimelech's two boys, um, and then all the men in the family die. Naomi returns after the famine in Bethlehem, where she is from, is broken, and through an amazing, astounding commitment to the God who Naomi worships, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, uh, remains with her, stays with her, and commits her whole life to God and uh, in that looking after Naomi. Uh, the situation is desperate when they get back to Bethlehem. They can't live as women in the ancient world without males in their lives. Uh, so Ruth takes to go and pick up leftover grain from a field that belongs to Boaz. Boaz is a kind, godly, upright character. And we learned last week that God has sovereignly so led these women into the life of Boaz. And then the story sort of stopped last week, more or less, by saying there was enough wheat to live with, but they're not out of the woods. There's still a lot of Naomi and Ruth's future that is uncertain. They don't yet have a future to speak of, and that's where the story picks up today. To pick up the story today, I'd like to show you this beautiful piece of art. It's exquisite, isn't it? Look at the balance, the symmetry, the uh, colour. Um, you can see that it's a love heart, right? Is that, that's clear enough? <laughs> Great. Uh, it's a beautiful love heart. Except one thing. It's, <laughs> it's missing a key piece. And you know, it doesn't matter how much you can add to this love heart, you can make it as big as you want, you can make it as wide as you want, you can put in as many, many colours as you like, but uh, something's missing. In some ways, the centrepiece is missing. What is most important, arguably, to this whole love heart <laughs> is missing. In fact, when we first took the piece out, the whole thing collapsed. We had to reinforce it to make sure it stays up without uh, the middle piece because this is in many ways a, if not the, critical piece of this love heart. I want you to think about your own life for me quickly. How often do you feel that your own life is a little bit like this? It has many pieces, lots of pieces. But it doesn't matter how many pieces you add to it, what variety of colours, what amount of colours, there always seems to be this key thing that's missing. Key thing that it's meant to hit the spot makes you say about yourself, I'm complete. I'm, I'm made. Other pieces might be missing and it's not ideal or convenient, but, but at least the key piece is in place. I want to suggest to you that key piece this morning, whether you can relate to it today or will relate to it in the future or could relate to it in your past, that key piece 
is rest. Not what you expected, I bet. <laughs> you expected Jesus, didn't you? For now, we'll get to Jesus. I want to say it's rest. Naomi says to her daughter-in-law in Ruth chapter 1, one day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. The word for home in your Bible will have a little A or an asterisk or a something there and you might find a note down the bottom that says that word also can be, I think rightly should be, translated as rest. I should find a rest for you. We're not talking about going fishing. We're not talking about watching Netflix. We're not talking about the sleep that we take at night in terms of rest. When I say rest, this key piece that's called rest is far richer and far deeper than that. And I would like to take a minute to just sketch to you how rich and big this concept of rest is uh, in the Bible. If you're not a Christian here today, or if you're a new Christian, please bear with me. I'm going to do this in a way that it makes as much sense to you as possible. If you've known the Bible for a long time, um, just stay with me as well. In the Old Testament in Scripture, God calls to himself a people. They're the nation of Israel. They're in bondage, in slavery, cruelly oppressed by, 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 by the Egyptians. And God says, through you, I'm going to ultimately provide rest for the whole world. But a big step in that process is I'm going to give you, you bunch of slaves, a land, a place where you're going to live in which you will have rest. You will be permanently situated here. You'll be secure. You will be full. You will be complete. Rest in the land. And as they journey, after God relieves them or rescues them from Egypt, that takes them 50-odd longer years, 50-odd? I can't remember now. Many years uh, that they wander in the desert and it takes them a long time to get there. They, they're in a state of unrest. And the one thing that they cling to, that they hold on to, is that one day we'll be in a state of rest in our own land. Once they're in the land, every year they're meant to have this feast that's called the Feast of Booths. They essentially put up gazebos, everyone, and it's a big festival. And symbolically, it's to signify that they have a place permanently now to abide in, to live in, to rest in. Every week as they live in this land, they are to observe what God calls the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, I don't know what your experience of the Sabbath day is in which you grew up, whether you're fond of it or not, whether it was the most boring day of the week for you because you're not supposed to do anything. Um, nothing's open, it's a dead zone. But here's what it was supposed to mean for ancient Israel. It was a day of rest on which they had remembered that God has completed his work of creating the whole world and redeeming his people and putting his people in the place that he has provided for them. 
remember the fact that God has completed them. They could say to each other, they were supposed to say to each other, every Sabbath day, you know what? We're full. We're complete. The key piece in our lives that ever was missing is in. We are full. We're we're, we're a state of rest. That is rest. Biblical rest. And what Naomi says to Ruth, I believe in this verse, is this is what I want for you. (laughs) I want you to have this rest. In the physical circumstances, yeah, but in a deeper level as well. And so just hold on to that for now because we're really going to end strongly on this uh, as this chapter finishes today. Should I not find some rest for you? This is what Naomi wants. And then she says, well, uh, this is what we're going to do tonight. Boaz is going to be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Threshing floor was an elevated spot where it was a little bit breezy. They sort of, when the breeze blows, they smash the barley to separate the, the, the chaff from the kernels. And they put all the barley in this big pile and the men would sleep there throughout, through the night because they were afraid that someone was going to come and uh, steal their stuff. So they would just camp out there basically, a little bit out of town, uh, for how, however long this takes. Boaz and a lot of the other boys will be there because that's what they're doing on this particular night. And here's what you're going to do, Ruth. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed, put on your best clothes, your cocktail dress and your high heels, make yourself smell pretty, go to the threshing floor, don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, go and cover his feet and he'll tell you what to do. (laughs) Imagine... Naomi having a cup of coffee with a friend, sharing, this is what I've instructed Ruth to do. You know what that friend would say to Naomi? You're insane. You are nuts. There is no way I can properly (laughs) describe to you today how how, uh, outlandish this plan of Naomi was. They're outlandish because the same people whom Boaz had to protect Ruth from last week, in whose way she was an object, could have been a potential object of rape, of assault, of incredible harm, they're the people there on the threshing floor. It's night. It's dark only this time, whereas before there was day and it was on the, on the, on the harvest floor. Not only that, what was common at a threshing floor in those days, was prostitution. Again, it's the days of the judges. Um, men have needs. This is what they did. It was rampant. Prostitution on a threshing floor at night. And, and you know, Naomi comes up with this plan and she sends Ruth right in there. It's, it's gutsy, to say the least. Many would have said irresponsible. Uh, Definitely bold. There's a lesson that we meant to learn from this. A big lesson. And it's this. Just because God is in full control of our lives, it doesn't mean that we cannot and that we should not 
take responsible, even risky initiative to enter the rest that God has promised us. The thread that weaves through this whole story, as I said last week, is that God is sovereign. God is in control. There are no accidents. God controls everything in your life. And how easy is it to say to yourself as a Christian who believes in the sovereign God that I have to do nothing? We become fatalistic. We say, well, God's got it in hand. It's true that God does have it in hand, and yet, in some wonderful way, I think this story shows us that it doesn't completely and absolutely excuse us from taking initiative. God's providence provides for the human characters in the story through initiative that they take. And so practical examples in your life, perhaps, if you're single and you're saying, look, I'm seeking a Jesus-loving partner who's going to be godly and love me. Maybe young people, even a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, you pray about it, you hope for it, you expect it to happen, and beyond that, it's still inviting us, this story, to take action. Do stuff. Go places. Meet people. Put yourself in circles where that is likely to happen. Uh, if God is, and he will, uh, well, he, he may not, but if it is in his sovereign plan to provide you with someone, he will, but it may well be through initiative that you have taken. Perhaps even bold initiative, risky initiative. However, never crossing a moral boundary in your plans. You know, bold and insane and irresponsible though Naomi's plan was, there was never, never in this whole story a moral boundary crossed. They did not hope to get Boaz drunk. They did not hope to lure or seduce him into sleeping with Ruth and then saying, look, I've got leverage over you unless you marry me that I'm going to smear your good name in this community. That was never part of their plan. These are godly people. Godly people who have balanced living holy lives and taking initiative with their faith and belief in a sovereign God who can and will provide for them. It's a tension, but a tension that plays out in our lives and that should play out. Similarly, if you could say, I need a job. You pray for a job, God can give you a job, you've got to write a CV, you've got to drop it off, you've got to do some networking, be active. I would like a loving church community and good, caring Christian friends. Pray for it, hope for it, God will provide it but you've got to get out and meet people, invite people, go to stuff, <laughs> take initiative, show boldness, take risks. Naomi and Ruth shows us this. Uh, and then we read on, verse 6. So she went to the threshing floor, did everything her mother-in-law told her to do, and in the middle of the night, as Boaz was lying there, something startled the man. I remember when I was probably about... 14 or 15 one night, there was a big thunderstorm. And my little sister, who would have been about, I don't know, seven or eight at the time, came into my room. And for some reason, I don't know why, she 
lifted up my doona and crawled in at my feet to lie there. And I just remember as, as, a, as a 14-year-old kid, I was stunned. I, I didn't see her. I was fast asleep. I, just, I was just lying there for, I think, about 15 minutes in bed going, what is this? Am I going to get knifed? Are they, are they breaking in? Uh, I, was, I was petrified. I don't know what... So I, I don't know what went on in Boaz's mind when this, you know, his he's, uh, <laughs> cloak gets lifted up and this woman crawls in in the early hours of the morning. He, he obviously was startled because, you know, the, the text just says this, you know, he asked her, who are you? He asked. And then Ruth says this, I'm your servant, Ruth. First time in the story, she introduces herself as Ruth. It says to us that she is bold and brave, identifying herself to someone else, to, to Boaz in this stage. There's growth and development in her. And then she says this to Boaz. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you're a guardian redeemer of our family. I'll deal with guardian redeemer later. First bit first. Spread the corner of your garment over me. In essence, marry me. In ancient cultures, and even in Arab cultures today, uh, this is a symbolic thing where a fiancé, the male fiancé, or, or, or even the bridegroom at some ceremonies would take a garment or a cloak or something like that, and then they just throw it over the female where the corner lands over the female. Um, try that if you propose and <laughs> see what happens. But this is how, this is how they did it, right? They, they symbolically threw the corner of the garment over the, uh, 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 the, the, the wife-to-be and it said, you are now coming under my protection, my care, my provision. Remember, this is still ancient days, patriarchy, male-dominated, and this is, this is how it worked. And so Ruth... What she's asking is essentially that. She's saying, marry me. Incredibly bold initiative on her part. We see a side of her character again that she is not an ordinary woman. Naomi did not instruct her to say this. This is something she came up with. She added it to the plan. Strong leadership. <laughs> again, strong initiative. Strong willingness to take risks. This wonderful woman shows us. But more than that, there is something mind-blowingly beautiful in this little line that she says. Spread the corner of your garment over me. The word for garment corner in Hebrew is the word kanap. Can everyone say that? Kanap. 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 There's another word in Hebrew that sounds very similar. It's the word kenapayim. Can anyone say kenapayim? Kenapayim. It's a word play that Ruth is going for here. Do you want to have a guess at what kenapayim means? It means this. Wings of refuge. Wings of refuge. Rewind to an earlier chapter in a conversation that Boaz has with Ruth on the threshing floor. At some stage, Boaz recognising that Ruth is a godly woman seeking God. Here's what he says to her. May you, Ruth, be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, 
under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. You know what Ruth is asking Boaz? Spread God's wings of refuge and protection over me by marrying me. She seeks God. (laughs) All the way through, she wants God. And, And church, there is an incredible lesson that we have to learn here today. Robert Hubbard writes about this. He says this, Theologically, God worked here not by direct intervention, but within righteous human acts. Let me put it in plain language to you, in two things that I'll say. If you want to experience God's love, God's care, God's rest to some extent in your life, it's probable that you're going to experience it through another person. Look at this. God extends his wings of refuge in the story of Ruth over these women through another person. (laughs) I want you to think about your own life for a second or two. Who are the people through whom you have seen or heard or felt the loving care of Jesus? They're there, aren't they? You know who they are. They are the Boaz's in your life. And can I just underscore on this how critically important it is that you have godly friendships and relationships in your life. If you don't have them, chances are you're going to miss out on experiencing the love, the care of God in your life. It's as simple as that. And of course, things work the other way around too here. If others in your life is going to experience God's love, his care, a taste of his rest, it's most likely going to be through you. (laughs) You are the Boaz in so many other people's lives, uh, whether that is your your ESM buddy and their family who, who you are starting to get to know, whether it's the person at work who you know is doing it tough and you say, listen, can I buy you lunch today? I just want to know how you are. How are you going? How are you coping with life? Young people, it's the person at your school whose home life you may know is going tough. Parents are getting divorced and you see them going downhill and you care enough to get on Facebook and write a message and say, listen, I, I just want to know if you're okay. I just want you to know what I think about you. One-liner. You know what happens to that person who reads that or receives that or who drinks that cup of coffee that you bought them? They receive God's love, God's care. Listen to these words. Jesus talks about Christians and he says this to you if you are one today. He or she who receives you receives me. He who receives you receives me. He or she who welcomes you into the Life, who accepts your care, accepts that of Jesus. question is, will you and I be garment spreaders like Boaz? Not in marrying people, of course, but in whatever way we can extend God's care to those who God places humbly at our feet. Story moves on. 
Boaz simply says this, bless you my daughter. Uh, <laughs> he seems a bit surprised that she actually wanted him. Uh, it's like he, he sort of is impressed that she didn't chase after younger, more attractive boys. Uh, he seems to be older than her. Uh, and yet she makes this commitment to seek his protection. Um, this is a side note, but I wonder in this story, perhaps you do too, <laughs> were they actually in love? Anyone else wonder that? <laughs> we do want this to be a love story, don't we? Um, we don't want this to be purely a business transaction by, you know, oh, I'll marry you and this is what I get, this is what you get. Um, we're not told. The story doesn't tell us whether they were actually in love. I think they were. I think we can infer from it that they were. I think Boaz was smitten with her. I think he secretly wanted her but didn't rate his chances because he thought, well, I'm old. I don't have hair. I've got a crooked jawline. I don't, I don't look that good. She would have nothing to do with me. I, th I think that's what he thought. I think he just um, didn't rate his chances. And yet she saw God in him and that's what she fell in love with. And I think they modelled to us perhaps on that note as well something that's really beautiful. Um, what they wanted in each other was God first and then each other second. I think we see that. And it's a real beautiful um, illustration. Somewhat inferred, but I think it is there. Um, story moves on. Now we get to this kinsman-redeemer business, and I'll be very quick about that. Um, Boaz says, yep, uh, you know, I'd love this. I'd love to marry you. I'd love to uh, bring you under God's protection and be the means in which God's doing that. I am a guardian redeemer. Um, what is a guardian redeemer? Or a kinsman redeemer? Or even the practice of leveret marriage? Here's how it works. I'll make it quick. Uh, let's say Donna, not let's say, Donna is my wife. Um, and what happens is I die. The way that it worked in the Old Testament, these are the customs and laws that God gave his people within a particular culture. We don't have to hold to them anymore today for many reasons, but they did, and it was a good thing, and it helped them then. What happened was, if we were to live in Ruth's time, I die, and I had a brother. My brother then has to marry Dana. My brother has to buy my business, which I theoretically run, carry on my business on my behalf, so that that prophet can sustain my wife and my children. It's more or less how this worked. The next in line, the next of kin had to do this. And this was God's way of saying, in particularly to women and children who were vulnerable in the ancient culture, that they are not left destitute, that they are provided for, that they are cared for, uh, and they have a future within Israel. Uh, this gets a little bit more weird. There are, we don't know how widely this was really practiced, but let's say I didn't have kids. Um, custom would stipulate that my, my brother would have to marry my wife and then have kids in my place. Um, really weird to think about, but it was really important in the Old Testament days because uh, your land on which you farmed, on which you were sustained and your future was, was all locked up in your inheritance, your offspring. And if you didn't have any, your future was stuffed. And so again, weird to us, but God allowed them to have a future, even if, uh, um, if there was death and, um, and no hope. So this is, this is more or less how it works. You know, Ruth and Naomi come to know that Boaz is a guardian redeemer. He's one of these guys 
who could, under Israelite custom, and should, under Israelite custom, do this for them. The only problem is, as Boaz points out, uh, I'm not first in line. Someone else. And there's a bit of tension that now enters the story. It's like a good movie, you know. Uh, just when you think, this is great, it's going to be a happy ending, there's a threat. And this is what happens here. Boaz shows also on this note that he's a godly man. He will not cross what God has said how they should live. God said, it's the next of kin. He's not, so he'll first deal with this. We're left to wonder what's going to happen. Well, I don't know. You'll have to come in two weeks' time to find out <laughs> how it all pans out. The story finishes with this, and I'll, I'll now work towards my conclusion as well. Ruth returns home to Naomi. Boaz shows his abundant generosity, God's abundant generosity again, by giving her six measures of barley. And Naomi hears about all this and says, key word again, the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. I started in the beginning by asking you, uh, what's your life like? Whoops. Um, rest. Being able to say about ourselves that our lives are complete, full. God has made us. God has redeemed us. I need nothing else. I am full. This chapter is a story where Ruth is seeking that, wanting that, and looking for it. And in some ways, she and this story points us to our day and to our age. Here's how. Listen to these words. Putting him down. Jesus Christ says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Pathway, you know, in his loving sovereignty, God has provided for Ruth and Naomi a Boaz who can give rest in their story, but that's only just a small story. In his loving sovereignty, God has provided Jesus who can give rest both now, both forevermore in your story. The ultimate rest comes to us. It says, I want to fill that spot in your heart now and forevermore. And that Jesus, who is right here today in, 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 in this very building, says this to us. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find Knock, the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. I don't know 
what the rest is in your life that you're seeking today, whether, whether it's the ultimate rest of Christ in your heart, if it is, be bold. Be bold like Naomi. Take a step and say, Jesus, I want that rest. This may for you be the scariest thing that you've ever done. I encourage you to take that step. Do it. <laughs> you will never regret it. Ask, seek, knock. You know, God has provided Jesus. He still asks us to ask. He still wants us to seek. He still wants us to knock. And church, if there are things in your life that are not the ultimate rest of Jesus, but, but circumstantial things, if you like, that make your life hard right now, whether it's singleness, uh, whether it's brokenness in relationships, whether it's money, uh, whether it's your health, ask. Ask God to provide us those things that would let us taste his rest, just like he has for Ruth and for Naomi. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you as people who, who either have been or are or will be making the discovery that we lack rest. Our hearts in the deepest parts of our souls are in turmoil. We're not at peace. And yet we seek it. We crave it. We want it. We know that nothing earthly can satisfy or hit that spot that we so deeply want filled. Forgive us for the times that we've tried to fill it with so many other things and still wound up with a hole in our soul. Today we ask you, will you fill it? We seek your rest. We knock on the door. Will you come in? I thank you for those who have lived in and from this position of rest for such a long time. Thank you for sustaining them. Thank you for carrying them and letting them live from that position of rest so beautifully. Father, I pray for those who suffer like Naomi and like Ruth in many things and while they have the ultimate rest in their hearts and the hope of a full and a complete rest one day, life right now still hurts and still is restless in many things. Lord God, will you provide for them. Give them the wisdom to be bold, to take action. And in those actions, like Ruth and Naomi, may they find your sovereign provision for whatever it is that they are asking for. Be their God, Father, I pray today. And ultimately, Lord, we say together, that we look forward to the greatest and grandest rest that we are guaranteed to enter in completion one day. Thank you that Christ has earned it. Make us yearn for it, cling to it, and like your people clung to it through the desert, may we cling to it through our lives now, knowing that Christ will return and we will enter his full rest. Thank you for that hope. Make it real and let it spur us on every day as we battle in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.